Welcome to Fintech Insider. This week, it's the FCA takeover. <laughs> wow. And today, we're recording live from the FCA's soon-to-be former offices in Canary Wharf. I'm Jason Bates, and today I'm joined by my colleague Simon Taylor. Hello. And the overworked and fabulous Eleven Media team. Hey, guys. <laughs> That's that. Right. Today, we've got five very special guests from the FCA. We're going to be talking about the FCA's Project Innovate with Anna Wallace and Nick Cook. We'll be talking PSD2 and open banking with Graham uh, McLean. Got to be very careful on pronunciation there. And Val Smith. And we'll also have a chance to talk about the FCA's competition remit with Mary Starks. A lot to look forward to. Okay, so we're here with Anna Wallace and Nick Cook. Hey guys. Hey, where's it going? Uh, I guess we should start off with introductions, especially for those international listeners that haven't seen you talk or hit the conference circuit and all that kind of stuff. Anna? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Anna Wallace. I head up Innovate at the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, what we do in Innovate is looking to encourage innovation in the interest of consumers. Bit of a weird thing for the regulator, um, but for us we really see uh, innovation being a really positive thing for helping financial services markets work well. That's what we do. Fantastic. Nick? Great, yeah. Hi, so Nick Cook, head of uh, RegTech and Advanced Analytics. Um, we do a number of things externally to try and catalyze and encourage development of reg tech solutions in financial markets. Um, and then we're also looking at how we deploy those advanced technologies internally to modernize how we deliver our regulatory role. So good to it, be here. It's almost like I'm talking to a startup. Hold on, we've got like reg tech and analytics and innovation. Yeah. How does this fit in with a regulator? It does, actually, it does feel like a startup at times. I think that we have tried to take some of the learnings from the startup community and how we organize ourselves, how we approach our task, hopefully, the degree of creativity and open mindedness. Um, but we are a part of a very big organization. And so I think a big part of our role as well is trying to help the organisation move towards some of these new innovations and these new themes safely. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for us, um, it's really important to mimic you know, the population that we're looking to help. Um, one of the things when we started Innovate in RegTech um, that we realised was actually how we worked as a body corporate. And, and I think a lot of firms and financial services are feeling that as well, just isn't working in terms of uh, interacting effectively uh, with entrepreneurs and startups and spin-offs from universities. So yeah, we wanted to, as much as possible, kind of try and mirror those that we're trying to help. And we've got uh, lots of international listeners. Uh, so, uh, and I'm fascinated by how the FCA is seen globally as being a leader in this, both from a, because it does principles-based regulation, and also the way in which it's not regulating and then everyone has to innovate, but actually it's almost hand-in-hand hand with the changes that are going on in the industry. Um, how has that come about? I mean, I think, you know, we, we're, we're a classic regulator. You know, let's not, let's not pretend sure. we're, we're anything, anything different. I mean, if it, if it looks like financial services, it sounds like financial services, then the FCA probably regulates it in, in one way or another. Uh, we've got 56,000 firms that we regulate. Um, so it's, it's a big market that we, that we look to do. But, but ultimately, what we're trying to do as a regulator through lots of different things we do, authorising them, writing rules to improve behaviour, supervising and, and you know unfortunately sometimes enforcing as well is to make sure that the work market works well for society um, and actually we don't think it's inconsistent um, to try and encourage innovation get the best and the best you know brightest ideas um, into the market we don't see that as being inconsistent 
with, with those objectives. So. so talk to me about FCA Innovate. Uh, what do you guys do? What do you concentrate on? Where are you at the moment? Well, we're three years in. Um, so are we still a startup? Are we a scale up? You know, that's a, that's a question we're constantly uh, uh, pondering. When we first kind of came on the scene, we were a couple of people um, trying to do something, something different. You know, we, we look very different to that three years uh, on. Um, like most startups, we've gone through pivots. So we try something, it doesn't work, we try something new. Um, the kind of bread and butter of what we do is work on a day-to-day basis with people trying to innovate. Like that, that is the core of our business. Um, meeting people face-to-face, obviously going on the conference uh, circuit and, and getting out um, and hearing and listening what's going on. Um, but over time, we've, we've kind of iterated that um, where we've seen that the market needs more help. Um, in the UK, um, specifically, uh, one area has been trying to accelerate robo-advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the UK, lots is happening um, mm. around more people becoming self-employed, less people getting a defined benefit pension scheme. So people are having to be more in control of their money. Mm. And that means that there is more demand on advice. And we thought technology could play a really big role in trying to get the costs down and make it more efficient. So we, we've focused in on some areas like that. And then obviously, you know, the big ticket item that we have um, is the, the regulatory sandbox, mm. um, which was the world's first, <laughs> um, which allows, you know, for us, we took inspiration from clinical trials and we wanted to help firms um, test things out before they went fully to market. Um, and we've announced uh, this month as well um, our intention to go global with that. So we really want to work with other regulators regulators um, to try and help scale up that ambition um, to help uh, firms innovate, not just in the UK, but in other um, other markets. So that's our, our new thing that we are looking to uh, deliver over the course of this year. Well, I really want to talk about that, but I guess there's the, that Lessons Learned report that's, yeah. uh, that's just come out. What, what were the key learnings of, of what you've been doing in the UK that you think will, will help globally? I mean, I think the first thing to say, uh, obviously, being the head of Innovate, where regulatory sandbox is, is it has actually worked. It's been a success. And, and that wasn't assured. You know, when we, when we devised this, um, there wasn't a huge demand for it. We just thought that actually the market needed something extra to help get innovations into the market. Um, we found that 90% of the firms that have trialled with us um, have actually um, gone to market in one way or another. Uh, 40% of the firms that have tested with us have also managed to attract money and investment. And we found that was a key problem as well, which was uh, I can't get investment until I'm authorised, but I can't get authorised until I've got the money. Um, so we were trying to address that problem. So, so the early indications um, are that this is really helping the marketplace. But there's some areas where we found it's not necessarily enough. Um, you know, we found that, for example, um, setting up things like um, an insurance company it is really quite complex and the money required to do that is such that trying to do a test in six months is not necessarily kind of addressing those issues. Um, also, if you want to set up an exchange, it's really quite complex and requires a lot of money. Um, so there are some areas where there are kind of some limitations. So we're interested in thinking about how partnerships um, might be fostered more effectively. Um, Question mark, is that for the regulator to do? Uh, We just wanted to shine a light on that now um, to see whether there is something the market can do to address that. But I think actually, um, hopefully, this kind of global approach may do something to help that kind of scale up issue as well. And I guess, Nick, that creates 
or, or could create more problems because while you might regulate 56,000 firms now, next year, a few years' time, it could be 560,000 with, with what's going on. Uh, how does RegTech and analytics fit into a, a modern regulator? Um, so I think if, in terms of the strategy for it, it fits in very similarly to Innovate in that we started remarkably small uh, two to three years ago. And where we started initially was just admitting to the market that we didn't understand the depth and the breadth of technological developments that were occurring, uh, particularly technologies that were supporting firms with compliance. So we started there, and then as we started to engage in that market and to um, build our credibility in the market, it became very apparent that actually many of these technologies can help modernise regulatory process as well. So our journey has been a similar one of start small, iterate, scale where we can. Um, and so our focus now has been on, rather than focusing on the entire breadth of the regtech market, has been to try and find those areas where we as the regulator have to be involved in order for progress to be made. And either that's because the type of compliance challenge that's been, that they're trying to solve is significant, complex, cross-border, um, or it's an issue where it relates directly to interfaces between regulators and firms themselves. So we've, we've started to focus a lot externally on regulatory reporting, and we've got a, a very large um, hackathon or tech sprint event on financial crime um, in, in May. That, by its very nature, is international. And we, through these events and indeed through the sandbox, we get to learn a lot about the technologies, which has been fantastically useful for us. I think that's one of the main kind of lessons learned for me is that things like sandbox are just a fantastic space for us to see something firsthand. Um, but you're right, 56,000 firms is already a challenge in terms of supervising and regulating that many firms. We have to be data-led. We have no choice. We absolutely have to be data-led and, and we have to be analytics-led and we have to nudge forward our approach from analysis that tells us what's happening in markets towards analysis that tells us what is likely to happen and what we should do to intervene and influence that. So we're on a journey, like many regulated firms, moving towards more predictive analytics, more prescriptive analytics, um, and becoming a more data-led organisation at, at our heart. And actually many of the firms that we will see globally or in the UK will mirror some of those um, characteristics. And it's, it's the journey of doing it together. Right. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, you know, as a regulator, there is a burden uh, on our shoulders that, that we are trying to do the best for society. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes that could mean admitting you don't know. Um, or feeling like you've always got the right answer. Um, it can be a pressure on us. And I think what's a great approach, I find it really liberating. I think my team have found it really liberating as well, is actually saying to the market, you know, let's go on this journey together yeah. um, and make sure that what we're doing, what you're doing, um, works for both of us. So Which is ultimately what we're seeing in the startup space as well. This whole yeah. transparency, yeah. virtuousness, talking and working with customers uh, leads to better outcomes for that firm and the fact that you as a regulator can almost extend that and to say well we're on a learning journey as well feels like startups the regulator and end consumers are on some crazy journey together yeah and it's i think it's one of the things we say to a lot of international regulators is that is one of the benefits of being prepared to take this kind of approach the the intellectual capital we have access to and can enjoy working with is profound yeah and well beyond that which any single organization could itself recruit and retain 
So there's, there's, a, there's some really compelling benefits to being more open and transparent and collaborative. And I guess we're, we're now seeing some of the global giants, whether it's, I don't know, Stripe or Google or whoever, uh, really, or Amazon, for instance, get into finance and that national regulators therefore have a problem in terms of regulatory arbitrage or where am I going to do what and how does it all work? Um, how do you see, you know, we talk, we've talked about that global expansion. Yeah. What does the future look like for, for national regulators and how they work together? Yeah, I mean, you know, financial services markets, you know, have been global for a while. This is, this is not a new problem for regulators. I think um, how we approach it can be different. So traditionally what regulators have done is through international standards, standard setting bodies have have either taken decisions to kind of harmonise the way they approach things or, or not. Um, you know, we, we've seen that in the banking world. Um, that is a very long journey um, and is often quite conceptual. Um, you know, and and because it's conceptual, it often leans towards worst case scenario and can be very kind of, yeah, it can focus on risk. Um, what we are proposing with the sandbox is to take a slightly different approach, which are kind of, what are the opportunities to improve the way the markets work? And how can we as regulators um, kind of enable those? But as the side benefit that Nick said, which is we actually get to see it work in practice and understand the risks. And through that kind of iterative process can then decide, look, that's not appropriate for customers. We need to take a new approach to regulation. And, and what we're hoping is that can be a, kind of a lot more agile process to, to making regulation and, and means we could take a kind of global approach to it. So that's, that's the experiment we want to try. I think the other thing that we're mindful of and talking to other regulators about though is how do we make sure the regulatory systems are flexible to cope with these innovations and, this, and the pace of innovation that we see. So certainly some of the work we've been looking at is, is effectively trying to modernise the architecture of regulation through the use of technology. Okay. And I think there, there are profound opportunities there. There are obviously some risks yeah. that, need to be, that need to be evaluated. But a lot of these technologies are in their infancy. And so the only way we're going to work out how to do that is through cross-border international dialogue. Um, across a myriad of players. So what are you looking for and expecting from this paper that you've, uh, you've published? So, I mean, this is how we approached the, the sandbox originally. You know, we kind of set out some of our ideas. You know, we think, you know, blank sheet of paper, probably not the best approach. So we've put forward our ideas, but we're real open-minded. Um, we are out and about over the next six weeks. Uh, we will talk to anyone at any time, <laughs> in any situation. Um, and we want to hear um, what they think about um, our ideas about how regulators might work together. We also want to hear from firms, um, you know, have you got an innovation that you want to test out in more than one country? Um, what is it? Um, and um, for London FinTech Week, which is the third week in March, the 19th to the 22nd. Yes, I am correct in that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, shameless plug. Um, we want to bring regulators and innovators together and actually um, see whether um, we can try to begin some tests or whether we can explore some areas where we might want to do um, some more work. Um, but we also have your text print as well happening yes. in May as well. So yeah, for us, this is a kind of consultation period, small c, where we want to uh, hear people's views so we can uh, help design how we approach it. But as I say, you know, I don't want it to be a, 
and this is exactly how it will operate. You know, this is a kind of, what are your ideas? What do you want to do? It might be from one firm saying, I want to do this one thing. It might be from a bunch of firms saying, Look, we want you to zero in on this issue. Um, so we, we are really open-minded, but, you know, come and so, speak to So us. finding some specific use cases, some things where actually you can do something rather than we'll sit back and create some... And let's be honest, that's the best way innovation works, right? We found is like, what's a niche use case? Let's trial it. Let's see how it works and, and build up. Uh, build up from that. So I'm sure a lot of listeners are now thinking, great, how can I get hold of Anna? How can I set up this conversation about my the thing that I want to do? Yeah, we would be delighted if people could get in touch with us. You can give us a call on plus four four two zero seven zero six six double four double eight, or email us at sandbox at fca.org.uk. Perfect. I'm sure you'll get a deluge of, of interest. Uh, Nick, how can people find out more about RegTech Analytics in the FCA and um, how they can help? Sure. So we're, we're also out and about quite a bit on the conference circuit at the moment. Um, they can go to fca.org.uk slash regtech, various contact details on there for the team. And I would encourage people to have a look at the AML Tech Sprint for May, where it's the first fully open event that we've held in this in this space so we are looking for participants we are looking for people to come along and and contribute to that perfect nick anna thanks very much thank you so to start off we have graham mclean and val smith thanks for joining us thanks for inviting us how are you guys doing today very well we're good thank you welcome to the fca I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling very welcomed at this moment. Uh, There's there's a great meeting room, and thank you for for having us in the building. We look forward to inviting you to Stratford when we move there in the summer. I think uh, one of the last times I was in the FCA was with the Monzo FCA Challenge session. I must admit the vibe was a bit different. (laughs) I I was very nervous. You know, there was a a team of sort of seven or eight uh, very experienced, super clever people across the room grilling me. So now I'm I'm feeling a bit bit better on this. Question though, when you open in Stratford, will there be a housewarming? Because I want to come to that party. Ain't no party like an FCA Absolutely. party. Absolutely. There probably will. Whether you get invited, I can't quite say. Sorry. We'll see how it goes today, shall we? Nice. No, yeah. it's, it's our audition for that. But yeah. So why don't we start off with who are you and what do you do? Great. Yes, so I'm Graham McLean and I'm head of banking and lending policy here at the FCA. And what that means in terms of today is, is my team that's responsible for implementing. PSD2 in the, the UK from a legislative rule-based perspective. Fantastic. Val. And I'm Val Smith. I'm the head of retail authorisation. So in terms of all the firms that want to do this business, this new business, they need to come along and come through our gateway in order to be able to do the business in the UK as well. Um, also in my world, as well as payment services, though, I have the new bank startup unit, one of the other things that we do to help firms come into the industry as well. So that would be my team that you had the challenge with. Uh, I put the, the super intelligent ones came there rather than me on that day. <laughs> oh, you're too, uh, too modest. So unlike, I guess, a lot of people out there, we love PSD2. We love the CMA open banking side of things. For our international listeners, can you give us just a, a brief overview as to open banking and PSD2? Like, where are we? How does this all come about? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to kick off. And yeah. So PSD2 is the second payment services directive, and it seeks to um, bring up to date the legislative framework for a, a new era of payments, recognising the, the innovation that's happened since the, the first directive of a few years back. And, and what that seeks to do is um, introduce um, more competition in the, the payment sphere, 
So there are new firms that will become regulated for the, for the first time. Um, you may want to discuss a list a little bit more in detail, but account information services and payment initiation services. And they will be uh, regulated uh, firms by, by us. And that, that, the fact that they are regulated by us, of course, brings certain standards and obligations around safety and security. Um, but it also uh, means that they have the right, when the consumer consents, to access the information that might be held by a bank in relation to their, their payment account. So that was what I was going to ask. Make that real for me, because this, this other organisation is now regulated, but they're accessing information from my bank account. What, what could that offer a consumer? Is, and, and what was the intent, do you think, of, of some of the, the regulations? Because I've seen a lot of stories lately in the news about how it is kind of doom and gloom and banks are going to sell your data. Um, but I'm guessing that wasn't the intended narrative when the, the regulation was put together. I'm guessing it was much more about consumer choice or um, fairness in markets and so on. So could you give me a feel for, for what some of the intents behind that are? So I think absolutely about choice. And uh, you know, um, financial services progressed a long way, and uh, you know, lots of people have lots of different accounts now. So one of the things is about how can you bring that together for people in the service of their interests as a consumer of financial services, rather than just the sort of the data itself. You know, so for me, it's about creating some choice, making things easy for people. We know that people don't find it always easy to engage in financial services. I think there's a great opportunity there for firms in this space about bringing that together. Um, I think then in terms of putting other things with it. So one of the things we're seeing from firms at the moment in the space is not just the account information service provision, but how they link that up with other services mm. for people, you know, to help them think about whether it's about savings, about lending, just to look at a broader choice there for people. I think there are some concerns and, and we know that there are concerns generally in financial services, mm. you know. This industry is subject to, as any others, you know, some of the problems, whether it's fraud, cybercrime, but it's not just here. And there are lots of things that we do about that as well. You know, but I think ultimately it can bring a lot of choice and create some more diversity. So a lot of the firms that are coming into this space are a bit different. You know, it's offering you know, a different sort of ethos, different way of doing things. That doesn't mean that the others are right or wrong. It's just creating a better it's creating an environment that's a regulated space in which this, this new concept can be explored. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so we've done a number of things, I think, as a regulator. So, you know, um, you heard from Anna and Nick about the Innovate and the Sandbox, which are things we do to help firms that don't necessarily fit as well with what we might understand regulation. PSD2, I think, and the link into open banking has brought those things into the regulatory framework now. So there's a, a sort of a way of firms doing that. It does bring, as Graham says, though, greater requirements. We do expect a lot of regulated firms. Um, but part of our job that we've tried to do, whether it's through Innovate or the New Bank Startup Unit, is help firms understand that and provide them some support whilst making sure they meet the standards. Those two things are really important for us. And I guess there's, um, there's an interesting question here as to uh, how small a firm can be in order to, to be regulated, to get on the, the registry, to get on the list, to be able to access open banking. Because on one hand, you need firms that are young and small and innovative and coming up with some really interesting propositions for end consumers, but also you need them big enough so that you can actually... Um, uh, uh, they can, you can understand who they are, they can be regulated and you, you can protect end customers against them because I guess what you don't want is two guys in a, uh, a garage creating a new service and then getting access in order to access to the PISP functionality and then transferring everything out of someone's account. So, so a couple of things there I might say and then um, Graeme might tap in on the open banking bit as well. So, 
So, so we see firms of all sorts of shapes and sizes. So for me, I wouldn't necessarily start with the size. Mm. I'd start with the, can they do what we need them to do? And can they do what they need to do for their customers? Because mm. to some extent, we both have the same thing in our minds. Mm. How we get to it might be different. Mm -hmm. And part of our role is about bringing those things together. You know, but if they can do the things, if they can make sure that they have a good offering to their customers that they understand, if they can make sure they can control that data, understand what happens to it, and be able to under, sorry, explain that to their customers, because that's really important mm. around people understanding what's going to happen. Mm. You know, if they can do all of those things and they can set themselves up well and they can meet what we expect of a regulated firm, then that's possibly feasible. You know, We have some very small firms, actually, in financial services, size-wise, mm -hmm. That deliver a very good service to their customers. What I'd add on, on top of that is, you know, we're we're interested in competition, which is in the interest of consumers, and that competition can come from new entrants, and it can come from existing existing entrants trying to think more innovatively around consumers' needs and so forth. So, um, we're, we're we're neutral in terms of, of of that, but we are keen to to create an environment in which um, there can be new entrants, and that that competition can be fostered. One of the one of the aspects that you touched on briefly, Val, was around the open banking initiative. Um, which um, is an initiative uh, established by Competition Markets Authority. And what, what that's all about in a nutshell is recognising that when, when firms, these AIS and PIS firms that we've talked about, wish to access data because they've got consent from the, the consumer and authorisation by us, um, accessing that data can, you know, can be quite hard work for, for the, the firms because there's multiple different systems to engage with different players and so forth. So what the Open Banking Remedy seeks to do with uh, the, the nine of the largest banks in the UK is create, in a sense, common pipes mm. so, so that it is uh, much more if, uh, much easier for the firms to be able to uh, access that, that, da that data mm. and therefore hopefully lowers the barriers to entry and therefore creates all the innovation around what's best for the consumer. It's interesting to me that we're trying to create those pipes so that we can get access to the information. But uh, you mentioned the FCA and the CME. These are two distinct bodies that, uh, that have two different uh, kind of roles and purposes. How would you see uh, the relationship with those two? And when should a company come speak to specialists like yourselves if they are looking to, maybe let's say I have an idea uh, and I want to take account information because I can help people save or I can, you know, I really feel passionate about doing a thing for consumers. When, when and how would I engage with folks like yourself? Yeah, well, we're definitely the body to, to do that with. We are the regulator. We, we hold the keys, if you like, to access that market. And whether you are a person that's not in the regulated community, you have an idea that you, you think has, has legs that are interest, in the interest of consumers, recognise you'll, you'll want to make money at it as well, um, then we are most definitely in the market for that. And there's a couple of ways in. in um, one is through our Project Innovate, and you heard heard from Anna earlier about our approaches there um, and we have a, a regulatory sandbox which gives people a sort of safe environment in which to test ideas before perhaps um, launching them, them fully. We also have, I'll say more about this, but our authorisations uh, department which can take some initial inquiries along with our customer contact centre. What I always say to people is, have a think about what it is you want to do, because that always helps in the conversation when you've got that sort of idea formed. And then go and have a look at some of our stuff. So we have some stuff on the website, and we've worked really hard at trying to translate a bit our own speak, stroke, directive speak, stroke, you know, that other language 
that we inhabit um, and make it make some sense for people because I know that when, when you're thinking about that idea you don't necessarily talk about it as you know it's permission xyz under the regulated activity order that's in perg 4.3 I don't actually know 4.3 is a real thing <laughs> but it's that sort of thing um, so what we've tried to do one of the things on our website is something we've called a psd2 navigator that says if you do x and to describe it in a way that looks a bit like what people's business is it might mean you need this and then it can help you navigate a bit that so you can think about then what does that actually mean in a regulatory perspective what sort of conversation do i want to have with the regulator we have an approach document for all the payment services and e-money firms as well have a look at that you know there is the perimeter guidance um, that's a little bit more in terms of the, the regulatory language that you use, but those things. So have a think about things that you can dip into, and then you can absolutely you can call the contact centre. All of our guys there are used to having conversation with firms about, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Do I need to be regulated? And if I do, how do I go about it? It's not a definitive answer, but it can help people then with that thinking. So with the uh, with the implementation entity and the open banking, the CMA nine and PSD two, you know, and we've just been through the 13th of January, so yes. a lot of this stuff is is live. I guess I'm a, a still a bit confused with how all of these things come together. So uh, arguably. You know, over the next few months, we'll see the, the nine biggest banks and financial services companies uh, have their APIs in place. Uh, so does that mean that as a, a small player or as a, a new innovative fintech, I can start to take advantage of those? And do I come to see you first? Or how do I even get into this if I've got a great idea? So, so I think in terms of that access in from a firm that wants to do this sort of activity, they do need to be authorised or registered by us. So that's the way in. I think Graham referred to it. The, the open banking stuff is developing and evolving. So right now it's about current accounts, but it will spread as well. So it's not just the people involved in it, but the products as well that will evolve over time. But I think for the firms, they need to think about how do they, how do they make sure they can be authorised or registered? Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing that the open banking guys will take as the way, you know, the thing that says it's OK. Mm -hmm. and, that, and there needs to be some, because as you said, the security of the data is really important. Mm -hmm. This is people's personal information. And, that, you know, and the firms have, have grown up working with that a lot, I know. Uh, and we've seen very little instance of problems. That's not to say there aren't problems, but in terms of that traction but it's us that the open banking would look to open banking i think we see as a way of facilitating that so all right graham in yeah. terms of the you know this is the thing people might use that that's that's right what the nine cma big banks will look for is is this firm authorized do they have consent from the customer and then do they do they have the authorization by us and if they do then they have the the firm has the entitlement to that data unless the bank suspects fraud and then of course uh, they shouldn't do that and let us know mm -hmm. um uh, what, what I should also say is, you know, PSD2 only went live in the middle of January. Mm. It, is, uh, it is quite early days. Um, uh, and um, it will be, you know, a, a gradual process of, of more firms entering this market, people starting to innovate, coming up with the, the great ideas that will really capture the imagination of consumers. And, and when they do, um, then that's a very, very exciting thing for consumers and for the innovators, for the incumbents where, 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 where they're taking advantage of that too. And most importantly, to consumers, because as Val said right at the start, it is quite hard work for consumers sometimes to engage with their, their finances. Everybody's short of time. 
and the ability to see everything in one place is quite exciting um, uh, for consumers and I think there's uh, benefits there. So it will come, it will come uh, and we, in a sense, the, some of the listeners today will have some of these ideas that might change the, leg, the, the landscape for consumers and we're excited to hear about those. Exciting times. Thanks very much for, uh, for coming to talk to us about it. Great. You're welcome. Thank you. We wanted to let you know that on the 27th of February, our very own David Breer and Sam Moore will square off in a fintech face-off, joined by some very special guests, including Bo Hartman, Richard Davies, Sarah Kachansky, and Bill Sullivan. It'll be Europe versus the US, facing off in a transatlantic debate to decide who's the best for fintech. It'll be live streamed, hosted by Capgemini and LinkedIn. Don't miss out. You can sign up at faceoff.11fs.com to watch the fight and back either side. That's faceoff.11fs.com. Who's going to win? I'm here with Mary Starks, Director of Competition and Chief Economist at the Financial Conduct Authority. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Good to be here. That is quite a title. Can you explain to us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Um, it is It is quite a title. It, it gets even more complicated than that. I actually job share my role with uh, Deborah Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm an economist by background. Deb is a lawyer. And together we run the uh, the competition and economics division. And in addition, I also uh, am the, the chief economist for the FCA. So uh, competition even within the role. I like it. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as cooperation, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about the FCA's competition work, because I think most people and most of our international listeners will think of regulators as people who, who ensure the, the integrity of a country's financial system. But I think rarely do, do people think as regulators as people who encourage competition. How did that come to be? So it, it came out, uh, got to go back a little way in history, um, following the financial crisis, uh, the Independent Commission on Banking, which was led by Sir John Vickers, um, was tasked with basically uh, answering the exam question, should the big banks be broken up? And the commission thought about that from two points of view. One was the kind of too big to fail um, financial stability point of view, and one was the competition point of view. And um, one of the recommendations that came out of that commission, uh, alongside ring fencing and, and other things, was uh, the recommendation that the FCA should be given a, a statutory objective to promote competition um, because the the financial sector would be healthier um, if it was more open and more competitive, um, if there was more competitive discipline on banks, uh, we might be less likely to have the kind of problems that we've seen in the past uh, going forward. So the, the competition objective really came out of that uh, commission, was put into law, um, and uh, Deb and I were hired uh, nearly five years ago now to kind of come and make that a reality. It seems like quite a, a fine balance competition because on one hand, if the market's too static, then everyone's happy and there are, you know, there are, are big banks providing the same service, but no innovation and drive forward and pressure on price. On the other hand, too much competition and things get very chaotic. How do you how do you manage that? I think there are there are sort of two schools of thought around this. Um, one school of thought very much as you as you say is around the idea that um, banking consists of a small number of 
uh, systemically important institutions and if you rock them, you rock the system. Uh, the other school of thought is that a, a more diverse um, banking ecosystem uh, might involve individual institutions being less stable, but the system as a whole being more stable. So I think the, there are kind of different different views around that. Um, I don't think the 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 transformation from a sort of small number of big banks to a diverse ecosystem is something that will happen overnight. But I think it is something that uh, the government of this country is committed to um, to doing. And we've had a lot of really consistent effort around things like opening access to the payment systems, um, making it easier to set up challenger banks, uh, to, to really boost um, the ability of challenger banks and fintechs to come in and, and challenge those large incumbent institutions. Yeah, I guess as a as a previous co-founder of a challenger bank, I have to thank you for that. Um, but it's it, it does seem to be a case that you've made, I guess, a very small number of I think elegant moves in order to make that happen uh, with the current account switching service, with uh, opening access to payment systems, with enabling people to get new banking licenses. Um, how did how did that happen? Um, well, I think all these all these moves came from a, a very consistent desire um, from government and from the competition authority and from the FCA to um, to make it easier to to challenge the the banking oligopoly if you like um, uh, the the problem has been poured over by many great minds for many years. I mean, this goes back to uh, Don Cruikshank wrote, wrote a report on competition in banking in um, the late 90s. And there's, I think the the ground has been trawled over enough times. It's clear there's no one silver bullet that's going to break this market open, but a lot of um, individual interventions to make it easier for customers to vote with their feet, to make it easier for challengers to bring new ideas to market. Um, these are sort of... Cons- cumulatively um, have improved the conditions enormously for, for for providing challenge in this market. And I think the um, the most recent important development we've seen is open banking, which is, has got huge potential to, to give that another another boost. I guess a criticism that I often hear is that actually even within with these moves to increase competition, we're still, still seeing relatively low switching rates for end customers. Do you think we've got a long way to go there or how do you see the future uh, opening up with competition? Well, I think um, one of the things that's really important to emphasise is that uh, healthy competition doesn't necessarily mean a massive amount of switching. So um, people moving bank account every six months is not necessarily what good looks like in this market. I think... Um, Competition can play out in quite uh, different ways. So I think we probably see some um, head-on challenge. So little banks challenging big banks. We see um, some quite powerful monoline challenge. So um, credit card providers or, or payment services providers coming in and just doing one thing, but doing it really, really well. Uh, and then I think there's also probably some quite interesting competition dynamics in the supply chain. So um I mean, if you look at how the, say, the car industry has evolved over the last ten or twenty years, um, specialist uh, specialist high tech suppliers have sort of taken up, taken increasing chunk of the value chain. I mean, the, you know, we're still buying our cars from Renault or Vauxhall or whoever it may be, but the um, there are a lot of other players uh, competing behind the scenes, as it were, and we I think we we see a lot of that in the in the fintech world as well. Uh, so, what role do fintechs play play in competition now? So fintechs are extremely, um, extremely important. I think one of the 
one of the things about markets that have a tendency to oligopoly, if you like. Um, so they, those tend to be markets where um, the market's fairly mature and saturated. You know, on the whole, we only need one or possibly two bank accounts, and most of us have got one already. So it's not a massive uh, growth market. Um, there's a number of uh, there are a number of players who sort of carve that space up between them, and on the whole, they will have an easier life trying to. Um, increase, uh, they, they call it things like share of wallet, uh, basically get more out of their existing customers uh, rather than trying to, to compete head on with each other to, to pinch each other's customers to, to win new customers. So those markets can get incredibly stodgy and there's a limit to which you can ex- really expect um, large banks to to compete against each other. It's, it's not the easiest way for them to make a living. So I think the role of disruptive innovators um, of of companies that are younger and hungrier and they need market share and they want to win customers and they're agile and they've got new ideas uh, is really, really important for kind of injecting that um, that competitive dynamic that drives continuous improvement from a customer point of view, you know, things that are cheaper and better year on year. So I think the you know these these sort of uh, young 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 and aspiring companies have have a huge amount to offer both both customers and also the the process of kind of driving um, productivity and, and innovation in in the economy. So how do you ensure a level playing field? That is a very uh, good question. I think um, I think the important thing with competition is uh, not necessarily you know the outcome you're trying to get to and not necessarily how level the playing field is it's it's how healthy and effective is the process of competition so it's are you getting these companies really striving to to serve customers better is that process working well um, now there can be problems with the playing field um, and if those problems make that that process unhealthy then then you care about them but I think it is also quite important to recognise that the playing field is never level. So if we think about how um, challenger banks compete with incumbents at the moment, um, incumbents probably have it easier in terms of uh, the capital requirements. Challenger banks will tend to uh, face more stringent um, capital requirements. Uh, On the other hand, uh, challenger banks don't have uh, legacy IT systems, um, large branch networks. So so they're um, they're not competing from the same place. They've both got advantages and, and and uphill battles and I think that's it will always be thus and I guess also this new competition and fintechs bring up some very interesting question for regulators around things like advice and guidance for robo advisors and the difference between intelligent services and how far you can go along that route you know while protecting customers how does the the FCA uh, develop you know their understanding and I guess regulation around that kind of thing that's a really good question I mean I think our our sort of regulatory philosophy if you like is that um, we we do aim for a, a, a level playing field in the sense that we expect uh, new companies and and innovative companies to meet the same standards of uh, customer protection and market integrity than incumbents but um, they don't necessarily have to do it in the same way. So a lot of the challenge for us is around thinking what would what should the rules look like for for these new ways of doing things. So um, you mentioned robo advice. I mean, a human advisor has to take a set of exams in order to be qualified to do something. Obviously, we don't need a robo advisor to literally. 
only take a set of exams, but we do need to find a way to make sure that the advice that, that the robo is giving is a comparably reliable standard, probably more reliable, actually. So um, so a lot of it is around thinking, well, you know, how do we uh, get what we need in, in the new world? And the one of the really important functions of um, our innovation unit is as a kind of um, almost a listening function, getting out there with innovative companies and understanding what how these new problems present themselves and, and really talking to those firms about how do we get to a place where we can feel com- confident that um, a robo-advisor is, is giving as, uh, as good advice as, a, as the standards we require of humans. I guess something that comes to mind is that uh, that with this increased competition, uh, obviously that any increased competition means there's increased drive, there's potentially uh, smaller revenue pools. So we're hearing a lot about vulnerable customers at the moment. What role do you think competition plays in either protecting the, those people or exposing them to uh, to more harm? Um, I think competition can be good and can be bad in different circumstances. So uh, one of the things that competition is very good at is supplying underserved niches. For example, uh, in the insurance world, uh, one of the things that competition should be good at is allowing people who can price a very particular kind of risk because they know more about, say, people who um, travel when they are receiving cancer treatment, um, you know, they can price that more accurately. And that can allow uh, people who are, who would not be served by the mainstream industry to to get insurance. Uh, so competition is very good at uh, populating niches that the, the mainstream industry um doesn't feel able to to serve. So in that sense, it can be very good for vulnerable customers. I think the other thing that competition tends to do, though, uh, economically, is it tends to drive out cross subsidy. Um, so and you know, again, there's there's uh, there's winners and losers whenever uh, you drive out cross subsidy. But one of the things that it, it can do is expose uh, a set of customers that are actually uneconomic to serve and sort of force that issue to to the surface. Um, and that raises some very tricky social policy questions around well, if they're if it's if those customers are commercially uneconomic to serve, how how are we going to as a society um, provide them with what they need? Super interesting. Um, I really appreciate your time. But before we go, I've got to ask you about your job share, because I guess in, a, in an industry and in a world that's increasingly looking at diversity and, in, and making sure that everyone you know, uh, can get a chance at the top job at doing the great work, it's great to hear about your job sharing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. No, it's um, so Deb and I've been working together, as I say, for nearly five years now. It's been an extremely um, positive experience. I've worked part time for uh, 10 or 12 years now, um, and both in, in part time roles of my own and, and in a job share. I think one of the advantages of, of job sharing is that you, you sort of do get two brains for the price of one. So, um, you know, Deb and I largely divide the work between us and we'll each kind of lead on a different thing but when we get to the really difficult bits you know, you've got someone who you can bounce your ideas off and um, help work through the the really tough 
tough problems with. So it's a it's a very enjoyable way to work. And uh, in terms of what we bring to the organisation, um, the organisation. You know, it does get to employ kind of two skill sets for the price of one. So I've got um, professional background as an economist. Deb has professional background as a lawyer. Um, in a competition role, those things come together very nicely. So it's, it's. I think it's been quite a good, uh, I like to think it's been a good value hire for the organisation. Yeah, sounds amazing. I, I'm uh, thinking about who we can get for job sharing now. I, I fancy quite like this two brains for the price of one uh, uh, approach. Thank you for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks, Mary. Thanks very much indeed. And don't forget, you can find 11FS, the people who bring you this podcast, a challenger consultancy that creates and launches next generation finance propositions for our clients, taking a startup approach to making a difference. You can talk to us at 11FS team on Twitter or hello at 11FS.com if you want to drop us an email. If you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. We look back. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.